everybody, you're listening to So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I am Garrett. And I am David. Yeah. Uh, today on the show, we are finishing up Men in Black. We've been talking about Men in Black for a while now. Um, this this week, we're covering the most recent uh, sequel slash spinoff, Men in Black International. Came out summer 2019. Stars Chris Hemsworth. And Tessa Thompson as our new lead agents, with uh, Liam Neeson joining the franchise. Emma Thompson returning from Men in Black Three, and that's the gist of it. Kumail Nanjiani plays a little alien friend. Yep. Cool. Well, yeah, that's yeah. about. I mean, that's about it in terms of the 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 cast. Um, you know. There's a, did you say, uh, did you say the guy who plays uh, Agent C? Who's Agent C again? Agent C. I don't actually get Which it. Which one was that? Know. Huh? Well, who was he Agent was the guy C? who was kind of a jerk towards, uh, towards H. He was like out of glasses and he was like, I don't trust you. And he's like, oh, you're different ever since you thing you did. And then he's like, uh, he, he, he seems like he's going to be the mole, but it turns out to be the other way around. Mm. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know who that I was is. Say, I don't, know who I don't actually actor. know. That. I can't remember the actor's name, but I know that he is a uh, frequent collaborator with Edgar Wright. So he's oh, in cool. like Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, uh, At World's End. Those day, those, those so days. in this movie, Tessa Thompson, since she was a little girl, has been interested in space and aliens. She actually encounters an alien and then spends her whole life trying to find the truth and that leads her to becoming an agent with MIB International, stationed right. in London. And uh, then the movie kind of takes a left turn from there and is about a bunch of nonsense. What does yeah. everybody think? Greatest movie of all time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm kidding. Better than movie, the movie sucks. Is that what is it? What is, is that? Is that where... Uh, We'll we'll find out, I guess, at the end of the whether or not this one is better than the Lion King or not, won't we? I think the Lion King is better than this. <laughs> yeah. It held my the Lion King at least held my attention. Yeah, Garrett, Ooh. Uh, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. Uh, it's you bad. know, it's, it's a shame because watching this movie, one of the first things that I wrote, like not even like a quarter of the way into the movie, I wrote down that it was a good idea with poor execution. Cause I think that this movie could have been good. Mm-hmm. But the way that I look at it is like Tessa Thompson starts off. She could have been a very, like, I'm going to go back to the original or the first two with um, David Cross and his character that he portrayed in the second one, where he's very conspiracy theory and, uh, you know, he believes all of this stuff is out there, but has no like actual proof other than his conspiracy theories. And I think that if they would have set Emma Thompson's character up in that way, where her whole life she's been tracking aliens and, and has had this feeling that things were real and she is monitoring everything that's going on in London and is trying to solve this herself while the MIB is also, um, working to solve it and then they meet at some point in time and then we learn a little bit more of the backstory from emma thompson so we are emma uh oh my gosh 
Tessa Thompson. Um, we learn a little bit of her backstory and we, then we see, you know, when she was a kid, she met an alien and saw the men in black and that she's not actually an, a conspiracy theorist is that she actually has firsthand knowledge that these things are real and has been trying to find it rather than we get all of that at the beginning and mm-hmm. then it's just wasted on her character. Um, Chris Hemsworth is a very one note character that we don't really like he starts off great and high esteem. And then all of the sudden throughout the rest of the movie, he's like this big failure and we don't know why. And in my opinion, we never figure out why I know that we, we learned that he got uh, neuralized at one point in time, but like he just completely changed character after he saved the world and never really get a full explanation as to why it was just, it was just big swing and a miss. Yeah. For me, I didn't think this movie was uh, as bad. It was everybody made me made it out to be. Um, It's still not very good though. Um, I was expecting it to be like, like an editing mess, you know, the way everybody was describing it. Like it's just going to like make, it wasn't going to make sense or something, or there was just going to be like major, flaws and logic it's just not very interesting you know i i I think the core problem stems from you know you guys have talked about the the how they handled that story and how you kind of get everything with tessa like all of her backstory is just here you go and then you're you're in men in black now and go and you're basically going to like go to like the basically the very front of the line although we can get into that in a second but for me the core problem is i don't feel like these characters have the chemistry for this type of movie the actors have chemistry and like some when in in the fleeting moments where it's chris hemsworth and tessa thompson kind of more or less just being their funny selves it's okay but you essentially have okay so what made j and k work were that j and k were very similar but very different they were both pretty arrogant characters. Like they both were super confident in their own abilities, but Jay was extroverted and Kay was introverted. So you have that dynamic of Jay's trying to be, Jay's really loud and obnoxious and over the top about how good he is at this. And Kay is very like, I got this handled, son. I'm not going to, you know, I don't mean to make a big show about it. I'm just going to take care of it while you're not, you know, while you're over there waving your arms. Here, it's like, they're both just kind of the same character but one of them has been around longer, you know? And if you, if you started this movie halfway through, you would think Tessa Thompson has been in men in black for like 17 years, you know, like she's not that much of a rookie compared to him. She knows almost as much. She's apparently just as good of a fighter based on, and maybe had, if I mean the way they rushed through the beginning, it's like, it seems like she's had one day of training, you know? But they just kind of gloss over that, like, you've been trained in how to use all these weapons and all this stuff. But she doesn't seem like enough of a fish out of water. Even though she's been studying all this stuff her whole life, there should be that threshold of, like, oh, I thought I understood how this works, but it's so much bigger. And I don't really feel like that's there. I feel like she's, like, she handles it all pretty well in stride. Um, And then Chris Hemsworth, my wife said it, he kind of, this is kind of a phoned-in effort from Chris Hemsworth. Like, I don't feel like he elevates this character or this role. Um, and then um, I, I honestly think that the 
way the story developed, I honestly think you could have fixed, if you want to tell this story specifically, they had a better sounding story in pre-production, it sounds like. But if you want to fix this specific story, I think you can do it with one key change, um, which I'll get into I'll get into as we talk more about the movie. Um, I will say that I felt like the movie was really one-dimensional and really not even that. I thought it was just, it was very bland. It was very boring. There was no development of anything. Mm-hmm. And by the time there was development, it kind of hit you with a surprise. It's like, oh, that happened. Like the, the idea, like um, the twist that um, uh, Chris Hemsworth character is H, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, Chris H, Agent H was neuralized. It was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I wish I would have cared. So there's... I, I, it just didn't hold my attention. It didn't hold, it didn't, it didn't hold my attention. I think about, I think about like maybe 40 minutes in, I'm like, all right, what, what's let, let's like, I have no more interest. It's a very dull uninteresting film that may have, that may have killed men in black. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's, I, I, I appreciate, the idea of trying to recapture the magic and we've seen some reboot sequel series franchise have success in the last 10 years. This is not going to be an example. This is going to be an example of it failing. Wrote uh, not a single person in this movie has chemistry with another. It's almost like each person acted in a soundstage by themselves and the editor pieced it together to make it look like they were all in the same room. Hmm. Like nobody acted like they, were with anybody. It was really just awful. And I don't, I don't blame the actors. Um, I do to an extent, but I'm also, you you know, you go online and you read a little bit about it. You're right. The, the post-production of this or the production of this was just so awful. Um, they went through several rewrites, Mm -hmm. uh, people at the studio left and weren't replaced. Um, it said that, well, let me find it here. It said that new scripts and rewrites were being sent to Hemsworth and Thompson daily. And they were both so confused that they hired their own dialogue writers. Like yeah. you can't make a good movie with that kind of a production. It's, it's not going to happen. No, basically anytime you ever hear about an actor hiring their own writer to come on and basically write scenes for them on the day, it's not good. It's no. not good. That's what Schwarzenegger did with Batman and Robin. Although that was probably not going to be good anyway. Yeah. But I also remember hearing that. I don't think whoever was it Sony that owns this property. Yeah. Yeah. I had read that they said that the legend, and you know, they're going to say this, of course, so take it for what it's worth. But they said that it's not a dead franchise. Said that, that Men in Black has such a marketable name mm-hmm. that it's not killed it. It said that it might not come back for a very long time, but they don't believe at this moment that it is dead. And I'm indifferent one way or another. I mean, you gotta, you can't bring back Hemsworth and Thompson. Like they're done. No, um, unless you're bringing them back, you have to completely revamp. Unless you bring, unless, unless you know, you do something like you completely change the setting. You don't do international again. You do something like MIBLA or something like that, right? Then Set we're just gonna have an NCI situation on our yeah, hands. I know NCIS so, where it's just so many. Well, and that's but that's kind of the that's kind of the the the, the appeal of how you can do this one is that like. 
as compared to other franchises is that location could make a big difference in how exactly things are presented, how they're handled, how they want to do it. You know, with the first one being so heavily New York, New York inspired. And, you know, this one had that element of like globetrotting international feel. You could do something different and that can be your way of making multiple franchises out of one concept um, in the way that, you know, they did with Jurassic World and the way that they have done with the Ocean's Ocean's 11 series is like, it's like, we're just going to pick another number. I mean, and after a while you can, people are going to be like, oh, what's this one going to be? Ocean's 9, Ocean's 10, Ocean's 2 this time because there's only two of them left you know, uh, but you just kind of set it adjacent. And in that situation, if you do, if I think if they had done well with this, they probably would have had the goal of get Will Smith and, and, and Tommy Lee Jones to come back and appear in like a crossover movie. So people would be like, Oh man, they're getting the old MIB and the new MIB together. Oh, this is great. But yeah, I, I don't think you can have the, these characters unless somebody comes in with like a definitive vision. Yeah. Take over. I do like the idea of like taking it to a different city or something. I think that LA could be funny uh, just because there's so much play you could do with actors and famous people that live in Hollywood being aliens. Like that's, that's just an easy uh, gimmick to introduce into a movie like that. Where it could be. I mean, they yeah. could do it. It might be Atlanta. Yeah. It'd be like, Oh man, all these Southern folk, so much rap room for aliens. Yeah. Uh- uh, one idea I was thinking of was like maybe if they if they were to make an MIB prequel, mm-hmm. like how MIB started, kind of like what they did, <laughs> kind of like what they did with Star Wars. You know, there was Star Wars four, five, and six uh, in the beginning, and then they in the nineties they went to one, two, and three. Yeah, and then they. Wait, I don't. I don't know if that would be able to work unless you bring back Josh Brolin. I mean, that, that's K was thing. such a big point of creating MIB and at least in this world that they've created where you've already gone back in time and met young K. I mean, you'd have to go even farther back to an extent because I don't, I mean, MIB had been established when they went back in time, who knows for how long, but you'd have to find somebody else to take on this K character. And Josh Brolin did such a good job unless you just completely ignore K, which I don't think would be smart. You do, you know, two other agents from that time period and, say hey you know there there's more than just j and k there's a few other people who've been doing this for a while that kind of thing i mean we saw two other agents in the beginning of this movie so i mean they were they weren't name big name actors or anything but yeah in this franchise the movies are only as strong as the lead agents i think yeah so and you get one chance to get it right and they didn't get it right this time so were they to explore this in the future, it would have to be something completely different, I think, with all yeah. new people. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think a lot of it, oh, sorry, when you look at this franchise as being kind of about an agency, you mm-hmm. really can compare it to a lot of those TV shows like CSI and NCIS and all that and understand that those shows are also only as strong as their main characters because the stories are the same. All the shows, the stories are the same. Yeah, It's just how the characters deal with it and how people respond and relate to them. So it could take place almost anywhere, just like any of those shows. It's just got to have strong main characters or it will not work. I think yeah, that's absolutely. the key. Do we want it? That's the question. Like we've talked about how this world can be this way in this men in black world. But like, here's the question is, do we want it? Like, 
do we want a men in black franchise again after going through? Yeah, I don't, I, in this world that we live in, J and K are men in black. This, this one, this one is an outlier. It's kind of like, I don't know, just an afterthought. Like um, I don't think about it. I won't consider it. It will be men in black one, two, and three and international will be forgotten. And I don't, necessarily think that i want to live in a world where they bring in new agents that don't incorporate tommy lee and will smith because they have they did everything so perfect um i don't think i would really want one at now i mean if this had been good if this had been like wow they've really rejuvenated this series then maybe but I don't feel like they did. I don't feel like they were able to recapture the magic of the first one. No, they didn't. No. I mean, I was I was interested in where they would go after seeing Men in Black Three, but you know, I wasn't really as much after two. You know, like you know, when I saw two as younger, I was like, yeah, man, we make another one. But it was it's so so long. I mean, how long am I gonna have to wait for this one? Eleven years. Even longer yeah. because of how bad this one was. You this have to watch well to twenty nineteen. So this is another eight year gap in this franchise. Like, and this is Sony we're talking about. Look yeah. at what they did with Spider Man. Don't don't doubt that they'll do it too soon. Yeah, no kidding. You know they could do it too soon, or they could wait forever again, like they did with this one. Um, yeah, if this had been good, then maybe I'd be itching. You know, because like I I I wasn't necessarily begging for a Jurassic Park four. They made Jurassic World, and I was like, you know, it's actually it's pretty good. I dig it, you know. Yeah, they want to do more of these, and they want to do it with these characters and do it with this this style. I mean, you know, sure, why not? You know, this wasn't, this wasn't terrible. I've never been into uh, King Kong, but I liked Kong Skull Island, so I was like, yeah. I mean, you know, if they want to make some more of these and they want to do it with this director and he's got a vision, sure. This had no vision. This had This was a corrupted production from the start, and it was never going to be – I don't think it's ever going to be good. Well, I think actually the, you know, I don't think the movie they worked on was set, but my understanding is that the original script looked at like, uh, had a lot of like current event Mm. components to it. Like it uh, talked about a lot of socioeconomic political things that they incorporated into the script. And they really tried to put some of that stuff there. Um, But again, the differences between the studio and the, you know, the, the director just got rid of all of that through rewrites. If you, let's see, it's had social political commentary on the current debate surrounding immigration. The main antagonists were to be alien music group inspired by the Beatles with four members merging into the villain during the climax. Uh, I read um, that too. And I don't know that that sounds any better to me. No, reading that, it sounds stupid. Well, yeah. I mean, but it doesn't sound any any cheesier than the other ones, you know. Like, yeah, look at our, look at our look at our bad guys in two, three, and one, two, and three. You know, like these but, aren't. It's not like you know, the it it, it sometimes the cheese factor should is supposed to I think be a bit of a part of these movies. But well, and I can see it working if they but, take it from a perspective of like glow, like Beatlemania, where the Beatles just took over and like became so popular if this band were to do the same with the intent of like taking over the world and then political or the uh men in black knew that and had to deal with you know not a not exposing aliens but also trying to prevent them from taking over the world but everybody in the in the world knows that it has no idea and they're just big fans and so slowly and slowly they're 
incorporating themselves into people's homes. That could be an interesting take on it. Yeah, it would be a unique element where the characters they're having to overthrow, they're having to fight are in the public eye. So like it makes their job of stopping them more difficult because, you know, we see all those celebrities, they always throw up on the screens in the background and they're like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like they're, you know, obviously aliens are celebrities, but imagine if one of those aliens that's a celebrity started trying to take over the world, like it makes men in black's job probably a little bit harder because the person they're trying to over, they're they're trying to beat is, you know, has like uh, all this attention around them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because in that element, you could get into, like you said, like the, I think like it says in there, the, the immigration debate about this, you could get into, you know, elements of like cult of personality. If like instead of like necessarily the Beatles, but it's like somebody who's like dominating the media and dominating the airwaves and like, you know, people don't want to believe that he's bad or whatever. They could get into that kind of stuff. But I mean, that got, that got left on the, on the floor here. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. I do want to say I thought that it was cool that they at least tried to give this movie some cohesion with the old franchise by bringing back uh, Emma Thompson as O. I thought that was kind of cool and definitely it was like they knew they wanted to leave that door open in case they need to get back as they left some level of connection. Um, they also had Frank the Pug back, which is weird. Yeah. He died. There were too many attempts at throwing things in your face. Um, Frank the Pug, Noisy Cricket was shown, the alien worm guys were there, like, and they were just like little nudges of like, here, look at this, here, look at this, here, look at this, and I did not like it. Yeah. I get what they were going for, and it maybe it was just because the movie was so bad overall, but like, I don't like it if you're not gonna actually either hide it really well and let me see it on my own or give it some kind of purpose. And these were just like, it was, it was like bad jokes in men in black too, where it was like, it just didn't feel well executed. No, there was no magic here. No, but nothing. I don't feel like there was anything terribly special here. Nope. Just a bad, boring movie made by committee. That's what you get. Yeah, that's true. I think I can't remember if we talked. I really have nothing else to add about this movie. I can't remember if we talked about it in Men in Black 3, but, um, you know, another one that they were going to, that was in the production before the Sony leak was the 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover. Right. Uh, Yeah. That would be an interesting thing to explore, you know, 2020 hindsight. I don't really know the story of that or how far along they were with that uh, or why they decided to scrap it. I mean, you know, if, if they scrapped it because it leaked that it was going to be a thing, but it had positive buzz, mm-hmm. you know, why take, why get rid of that for something that is this, you know? Yeah. Well, it, since you guys don't have much else to say, I'm going to give you David's uh, editorial rewrite of the, of the movie. Oh boy. Because I think there is a way that this, you take bare bones of the story remain the same. Okay, weird uh, aliens who uh, look like twins come to Earth. They're wanting to find this thing. Uh, It ends up in all kinds of weird hands. It's a big, scary weapon. You know, it turns out, you know, like, you know, the twist at the end, it's going to remain essentially the same. Here's the main thing you change. You switch the characters of H and high T. 
the partner that Tessa Thompson works with is Liam Neeson's high T who was a highly decorated member of men in black, but something happened a few years ago. They, he claimed, you know, he's told and he's claim he claims that he saved the earth, but he can't exactly, or, and whenever he tells you though, it's the exact same thing. Wits and neuralizer, wits and deatomizer thing. And in charge is Chris Hemsworth's H, this young, you know, good looking, smart guy who has everything under control, who somehow nobody really quite understands exactly, was given the power by, by high T. And he, you know, like basically succeeded. They said, I believe, you know, this young man, he saved the planet. He should be in charge, not me. Whatever, right? And then everything else is the same because I think it would be way more fascinating to me to see the interaction between Liam Neeson and Tessa Thompson in those same kind of dynamics that we have with Will Smith and, and Tommy Lee Jones because I feel like they could have found that dynamic. And Chris Hemsworth's going to be way more interesting as a bad guy here, as a guy that you're not sure you can trust and a guy that you that when he reveals himself as being the bad guy, you go, oh, that's awesome i wouldn't have you know maybe you know you you have people going i wouldn't have ever thought because chris hemsworth's thor everybody loves him nobody would ever see him as the bad guy then he's the bad guy it would be much more compelling of a story i think than what they ended up doing i don't know i think that maybe i think it could be done like i mean if you keep the characters essentially the same you have liam neeson's character as you know, a downtrodden, sad person. You know, again, I still say that Chris Hemsworth did not have a reason to act the way that he was because he was a hot shot up and comer who saved the world. So why all of a sudden is he lethargic and sad and not caring yeah, about this why job? Why is he slacking him? Like, it made no sense. But you take, you know, the alien takes over for H, the neuralizer is, you know, you did good, up until now and now you're questioning if you can still be in charge so you want to go back in the field and he's sad and whatever not and then is like yeah you're in charge now because you stood up to these aliens and did it and then you know when they ask t to tell the story it's like well you know the alien knocked me down and the next thing i knew h was up there and he had taken them over whatever and that you know gives T's character a reason to be sad. It gives reason for H being put in charge without you fully su- suspecting aliens had taken over. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and I, no neuralizer. And you know, I, I mean, as I was watching, it, I just kind of thought, man, I feel like they missed the mark with this movie. It shouldn't be Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson as the main duo here. Yeah, it's but just from a marketing a, standpoint, not Liam an exciting Neeson, dynamic. Liam Neeson pairing up with Tessa Thompson is not a mar- as marketable as Liam Neeson pairing up or I'm sorry, uh, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth back again. That's uh, just from, I don't, I don't care because that would have been better. Oh, absolutely. I don't marketing. Know. I'm like, you put, you put Thor and Valkyrie together in this movie, sign it. I wish. I mean, I, w- I mean, apparently I don't think marketing did much good of anything for this movie, which we can get into in box office stance. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, talk about the box office performance of this movie, which I really don't know much about. Uh, I assume it didn't do great, but probably didn't do horribly. I don't know. Did it? What did it do? Well, um, it's a. It's definitely not. Uh, didn't perform well. 
Um, as we talked about with the, you know, like marketing wasn't really heavily poured into this movie as much as uh, other films on Sony's docket. So uh, while they had a few things, it didn't quite work. Um, I do want to, before I get started, throw a quick shout out. Box Office Mojo listened a little bit and they have given oh, back really? some features. Um, you still can't use their site. You can use other sites to do this. You still can't look, use their site to see like actors and directors. Um, mm-hmm. But they gave back the ability to do to look at uh, franchises and uh, look at brands and look at um, oh there was one other thing they gave back but basically they expanded it a little bit I'm not gonna delve into a whole lot of that kind of stuff here today but I noticed you think it was they back, did so. you think they did that because box office mojo is kind of irrelevant right now so without that oh, archival data there's no point in going to it. I thought about it because it was like literally within the last two days. Cause that's when I was doing these stats and I was like, uh, I was like, Whoa, where, where'd all this stuff come from? And I look and they have like a special note that says something like, uh, we will report whatever box office data there is, although there's not going to be very much of any. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and they had all that stuff on there and I thought, man, this is great if they leave this stuff up here or if they figure out that nobody's going to pay like, except for like, you know, industry insiders are going to pay for, you know, this level of box, box office detail anyway. So I wanted to mention that I was going to throw that up on Twitter. Uh, whenever we, this episode comes out too. um, men in black international debuted just last year, June 14th, 2019. You may, you guys remember where you were. Uh, it finished number one, fortunately, uh, <laughs> in, in, with a three day opening of only $30 million. And I say only, cause that's not that much compared to some of the other openings of twenty of 2019. Um, if you look at what else was in the box office that weekend, it's a pretty good, I mean, it's a pretty good weekend. Um, did I say that? I'm sorry I started to say that. It was not a super weekend, um, the weekend of June 14, 2019. So Men in Black 1 uh, opened to $30 million. The Secret Life of Pets 2 was in its second weekend and made $24 million. Aladdin, was still rocking in its fourth week uh, with 17 million, just a just a just a 29 percent drop from it week to week. That's not bad. And then at number four, you have uh, Rocket Man, brought in nine million dollars in its third week, just a 30 percent drop there. That's good too. Um, and then you have um, in its second week with a dismal 71 percent drop from its opening week, X Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah, hey, well, that's a bad movie. X-Men Dark Phoenix went from uh, uh, opened at, in the number two spot and fell to number five in one week, which is $9 million. Uh, since it's 2019, I'll go ahead and throw this out here too. Uh, Avengers Endgame was still in the top 10 at this point, bringing in $3.7 million in its eighth week. Um, now, going back, um, we look at... Um, what did I write that? What did I write here? I wrote Unseated Avengers. That's not true. Um, Going back, you uh, look at, um, we have uh, three sequels in the top five that weekend. And um, I think, Josh, you might have actually posted about this um, specific weekend or a weekend similar on Twitter last year because somebody posted a, a Twitter a tw- tweet post that said, uh, the, the, the box office leak this weekend, sequel, sequel, remake, uh, original movie sequel, <laughs> you know. And uh, it may not have been this one because I don't think I think Rocket Man wasn't the movie they were putting in the number four spot. Um, 
for the director, now you guys may very well know the director, F. Gary Gray. I did go ahead and do a little bit of stats on him. Um, so F. Gary Gray is probably most known recently for Straight Outta Compton. And uh, that is one of his more critically successful films. Um, if you look at his, his box office numbers, this is going to end up being one of his worst movies. Um, well, I say that. I mean, he's had some movies that have been around the same level, but in terms of the budget, one of his worst. Uh, obviously, his best is yeah. he directed Fate of the Furious. Yeah. Um, moving on, in, if we look at Men in Black's international take, um, it brought in $173 million, so a little better overseas, but here in the United States, it finished with $80 million bring its worldwide total to $250 million. Um, Men in Black International would finish in the number 36 spot for 2019. So a very distant finish from everybody knows number one, Avengers Endgame. Um, I'm not gonna really going to go through 2019. If you want to uh, hear all about our favorite things in 2019, check out the 2019 Recap Podcast. And the 2019 Mid-Year Podcast, too. Because that was yeah, wow. um, what was the budget for... Men in Black International. Let me pull it back up here. It was listed as being 110 million. Okay. So um, it made back its budget and worldwide, but a 30 million dollars on a hundred 30 million dollar opening on a 110 million dollar budget um, is not super. Um, you know. Um, so looking at 2019, let me see here. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but our highest grossing non-sequel that year, if you don't count remakes, is The Lion King. Uh, highest grossing sequel, Avengers Endgame. And highest original concept is still Us. Um, uh, previous movies we've done in 2019, Avengers Endgame, It Chapter 2, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, uh, and uh, Zombieland Double Tap. And if you want to hear uh, another show we did about 2019, check out our Oscar show. Yeah. Um, but that's about it. Men in Black, uh, super underperformed. Um, since it's the last movie of a franchise, I have these uh, these comparative this comparative stats thing that I that I actually made because Macho Mojo or Box Office Mojo wouldn't do it <laughs> uh, until two days ago. Um, Men in Black International is the worst performing of the group. It, um, I mean, even even compared to other, you know, like the standards of. 90s early 2000s and early 2010s it's just not good um if this doesn't kill the franchise it'll be just because somebody believes in it um it's been in general a case huh in in general this franchise has been a case of diminishing diminishing returns um your first movie uh brought in 250 million dollars in the united states the second one only 190 million uh, the third, 179. Um, you know, they finished number two in their year, number eight, number 12, and number 36. So, like, the interest level for this franchise has only gone down, seemingly. And so, I can't imagine money-wise that there's going to be much incentive to make a new one. Um, no. I didn't mention this when we did the first Men in Black, but the first Men in Black is actually on the all-time top, top 100 highest-grossing movies. Um, wow. uh, and, and that's adjusted for inflation. Um, uh, unadjusted, it's in the top 130. But, um, uh, but it's the 92nd highest grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation. So, I mean, that's, I mean, this movie, they, they started at such a high point, you know, uh, for an unrecognized brand in the 90s to make it 
big hit and to have some level of success in terms of your follow-up. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, you know, they call it here because I don't think anybody really wants more. No. And that's it. Cool. Who, who's running the letterbox game this week? You guys remember. won't be happy because it's me. Oh, no. More David. I rent. I, uh, I, I actually, I actually listened to, uh, actually listened to, uh, my recording of last week's show and I was like, Oh, I won. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. All right. Hang on here. One of these days we're going to be smart and write it down. It's not going to be today, but one of these days. No. Not going to be today. Not going to be tomorrow. Yeah, and one of these days we're going to just write down that the letterbox game always comes after box office stats. <laughs> we'll go, oh, yeah. Um, okay. Men in Black International has been uh, at least 54,000 people claim to have watched it. Nine, 1,000 people have written reviews for it. Although you don't have to write a review to rank it. You can rank it without writing a proper review. But what is the ranking on Letterboxd from... Uh, I I think the lowest it can possibly be is one point one or uh, uh, point one, all the way up. We know it's on five. Uh, one point seven. One point seven from Garrett. I was gonna go two point two. Josh sneaks in two point two. Two point two. Oh man, I'm gonna go one point seven. One point seven. Pretty sure that's exactly what I said. Is it? Yep. Yeah, Garrett said 1.7. Andrew, what did you say? I said 1.7. He did say 1.7. 1.7s. That makes it really easy for me. For some reason, I thought you said 1.2. No. I'm going to go with 2.7. 2.7. Going Wow, a full star jump. Wow. Going up a full star to 2.7. So (laughs) 2.2 from Josh. 1.7 1.7 from Garrett and 2.7 from Mr. Nichols or I don't know, Agent A. J G and A. Um the total aggregate score based on letterboxd.com is 2.4, making oh, the wow. winner Josh. No. Oh, yeah. We'll get to lead the game next week and wins 2.4. the uh, prize of envy. 2.4. That's 2. high. 4. That's that's too high. I'd agree. Well, what what do all of what do we give it? Let's determine the so many sequels rating. Half. I'm gonna give it a two. It gets a half. So I have a half, a two, Andrew. Half. I would give it a half. half. Wow, two halves. I, oh. I give it a one. Mm. So uh, the score averages out to a one. <laughs> yeah, listen, you take two people that have proven chemistry in another movie where they were together like this and you give them nothing. You completely kill a franchise that has a name yep. that people enjoy. You don't get a full start from me. <laughs> Look, you know, for me, it just comes down to a two because I wouldn't necessarily say it sucked. Oh, it sucked. Um, it was it was just mediocre. You know. Oh no, it sucked. In my opinion. Mediocre is, just, is a big compliment. Like, it has it has everything it could have, you know, uh, thrown at it, but 
the stories just suck. The stories what sucks. And so like everything else, it is as good as everything else can be. You know, there's just not there's it's just nothing there. There's no there's no real enthusiasm. So I give it a two, which is higher than everybody else. But I mean, a two is not not, not a great review for me. No, a two is not good, especially for me. That's true. No, I tell you what, I watched this and I watched Cars two the same day. Oh, and what is wrong with you? Why? why Cars two? Wow. Is, Cars two. Well, I got a special uh, thing. I might be releasing soon. Uh, Cars oh. two. I mean, that was what I was going to talk to you about after before the show. Yeah, yeah now I remember. Uh, I have to say, I watched both those in one day. Cars two is uh, like a hundred percent more creative than Men in Black International. I'm just going to leave that out there. That should tell anybody who's yeah, listening to this podcast who has not yet watched Men in Black International. That should tell you everything. Yeah, it's true. All right. Well, do we want to rank the series? The Oh yeah, um, I'll go first. Oh, this one's tough for me. I it honestly is think I like three just as much as I like one. I agree. Um, I think I'm actually gonna go three, one, two, four. I'll say gonna, I like Men in Black one, Men in Black three. Two and then international. So one, three, two, international. That's <laughs> same waka, as waka, waka. Um, I think that this is a tough one because I think I like three better um, as a movie and the entertainment value I got from it, and it, but. It also just could have been sheer surprise because I had never seen it before recent viewing and having watched it after two and realizing how bad two was after liking two and then going into three and being really thrown by how good it was um, really caught me off guard. Um, But I think with everything that this movie did, I think I still have to go one, three, two, four, just because men in black's such a classic but god it's close between those two yeah i think men in black 2 is better than this by 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 uh by a leap like men in black 2 is not necessarily anything to praise but it's way better than this at least i want to hear your take on two and four because recently we discovered that men in black 2 was your least reviewed yeah it's your worst reviewed movie yeah so, like, how do they compare? Are they equal? Are this one better? Worse? Because if you say that this one's equal, I'm going to go over there and slap you. No. This is what I'm going to say. In Men in Black 2, it looked a song from Will Smith. Mm. And that's some sort of a redeeming factor. So, <laughs> 2 is two is, a, 2 is better Two is better than Men in Black International, but not by much. Yeah, you better go back and give Men in Black International like a half star. Oh, it, I mean, excuse me. My Men in Black I've Two. Already, Sorry, excuse I've, me. Men in Black Two. You better give it back a half star or something. I, I've I've already written my review on Letterboxd for Men in Black International. Oh, we didn't so. do that. We should. We didn't do Andrew's Andrew's review. So All right. uh, it doesn't say much. I read it. I mean, it. You don't go in depth because it's so bad. Yeah. 
but you did come up with an acronym for it if you would like to share. Let me pull it up because I don't remember it. <laughs> for, men in black, for Men in Black 2? No, yeah, for Men in I'll Black International. You, I'll oh. tell you this. It's, it's an acronym for boring. Wasn't it? Or did I make that up? No, no, no. You got it. Um, yeah. I'm pulling it up now. Okay. I'm trying to remember if I, I can't remember anything. I just remember it was for boring. Yeah. Boring. Bad. Obsolete. Really is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Nick. Yeah. That, that about describes. That about it needs describes to be interesting every week. We can bring back the one word thing, but Andrew has to create an anagram of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You need an anagram every time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that wraps up the show this week. Uh, if you want to know what we're doing next time, you're going to have to follow us on social media. That is uh, so many sequels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting um, our next series there once the time comes. Um, but until then, find us on all those places. Listen to us wherever you get podcasts. And until next time, don't get sick. <laughs> also, I will say, I never f- movies. I fell asleep to this one.